Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is time for Mental Health Monday, and this is a a long anticipated special episode in this series because, well, I'm underrepresented in this series. Okay, okay you I'm so sorry. Privilege, my shit, like. <laughs> totally. This is about Andy today, apparently. No, <laughs> no but I'm here for you. Uh, we're continuing our conversation <laughs> in emotions and the gospel. And we're, we're talking with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. We've been working through emotions and the gospel. Great book, great resource. Earned my badge because I made it through the whole book. <laughs> and I'm very proud of that. But today, we're also going to add to the conversation another guy. And I'm thankful for that. You're welcome. The Reverend Dr. <laughs> Richard Mars, Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Dr. Mars, welcome to the Coffee Hour. Very good to be with you. Thank you very much. So, wonderful. And Heidi, good morning. I didn't say good morning to you when I said your name. Good morning. Glad to have you along. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited for this conversation. So, as we've been working through emotions in the gospel, occasionally it comes to light that maybe men might perceive or experience things when it comes to emotions differently than women. Women might experience things, emotions differently than men, perhaps. So to to look at that question, do women and men experience emotions or perceive them differently or maybe even express them differently? Uh, we have this really balanced panel today to discuss <laughs> it. So before we get into men and women and emotions, I, I think it's I think it'd be helpful to help our audience understand where everyone's coming from. Now we have Heidi on every week, and most of us know that you're a licensed clinical social worker and a deaconess. What does that mean, Heidi? Give us a little bit more background about your practice and what you do. I know you write a lot of great books. We share a lot of them here on the Coffee Hour, but help us understand where you're coming from when it comes to talking about emotions and mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I spend four days a week, Monday through Thursday, in my therapy offices in Ludington, Michigan at Lighthouse Associate LLC. And I it's a group therapy practice, and I get to serve my local community and some people around the state of Michigan offering therapy services. I specialize in spiritual trauma, and I utilize, I'll throw out some acronyms. People can look them up later. EMDR, DBT, and IFS are some of the specialties I work in as well as play therapy. And so that's super, a huge part of my life, right? I would say it's just a big chunk of what people can utilize to understand my perspective. I also have a theology and psychology degree from Concordia Chicago, and I have my deaconess certification. And so I feel passionately about helping people be in that space of the intersection between spirituality, faith, and mental health. So I write about that on my website. I try to wait for that in our congregations, our districts, in different places across the LCMS, and then also out there in the in the world. And so it's a kind of a unique space that deaconess and licensed clinical social worker space Um but I see things from a systems perspective, which means like that you are a person, but you also interact with schools and faith communities and families, as well as a nation and, and the world at large and humanity. And so it's pretty fun to watch that intersection, I think, within my writing. And then also just when you have conversations or hear me on the coffee hour. 
Yeah, we've we've had got to benefit from all of your different areas of expertise over the last well, however long we've been doing Mental Health Monday. It's been a while. So that's that's been really great. Dr. Moore, I was going to ask you the same question. What What is your background, your experience in the mental health field? Yeah, it's it's interesting that Heidi and I kind of have some similar but still distinct connections in, in our fields. I was a light, I am a still a licensed psychologist, was a psychology professor and a counselor in Concordia University System Colleges for 15, 16 years, worked in various private practices as well as I was moving towards licensure as a psychologist. And then after I finished all of that and, you know, a professor at, at Concordia Chicago, I looked at my dear wife and said, honey, would you stay married to me if I went to seminary and became a parish pastor? And she <laughs> said she would. So at age 40, we brought the kids to the seminary and I studied here for years went out on a convertible vicarage to become a pastor and thought I was going to be a parish pastor for the rest of my life. When then Concordia Seminary called a few years later and said, would you consider coming and being a, a teaching pastoral counseling here? So it's been my honor to help for the last 17 years teach the, a generation of pastors a little bit about pastoral care and counseling, a little bit about what the Bible says on on emotions and pastoral care, a little bit about what psychology says about how to do good counseling and try to squeeze all of that into one 14-week class so that pastors can go out and, and be as competent as possible when they're actually doing care of souls work for people. So yeah, it's important. Also, author wrote a book a few years ago called Making Christian Counseling More Christ-Centered that we've talked about before. And my other passion is Christian counseling in general, but the fact that so many, 99 plus percent of Christian counselors in the United States don't know anything about Luther's soul care theology and how gospel-centered that is, and so they don't know how to bring Christ into their counseling very effectively, and that's what my book is trying to do, is try to help non-Lutheran Christian counselors go, oh, I hadn't thought about bringing Jesus into this area where this person's struggling with sin and guilt and shame. And again, we know that from as Lutherans kind of secondhand, but a lot of Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals who are good Christian counselors don't know how to bring that gospel into their counseling work. So a lot of good perspectives that the two of you together combined cover such a broad range of experience and knowledge and background. Now, Heidi, you're a licensed clinical social worker with W and Dr. Mars, you're a licensed psychologist. Can you unpack what that difference in terms is, the difference in licensure, what that actually means? It's funny because when I was serving the LCMS as a contract worker for worker wellness and mental health advocacy, I actually created a PDF that had distinguishing mm. features of each of these different roles, including psychiatry and like, you know, primary care practitioner, because there is a lot of different roles in the mental health world. And I think the team aspect of it is important, having the team you need to help you care for your mental health. And so I let Dr. Marsh speak to his. In social work world, we have that particularly unique systems perspective. Not that it doesn't exist. And I, I know that Dr. Mars in particular is very aware of it. And it's, I think, a, a gift 
to be able to look at systems as well as the individual in, in most mental health practice. However, in social work, that's a specific area of influence that that's really like ground zero that you're looking at the systems first and then kind of panning in from the systems to the individual and back out again. And so that's really cool. There's also the person in the environment, really understanding that the environment impacts the person as well as their internal interactions and dialogue and sense of self. And so that means that there's a heavy inf in, um, emphasis on relationship interactions. There's a heavy emphasis on attempting to create changes, not only in how we respond, to the stuff around us, but how that that stuff around us, whether people or things or in the natural environment, organizations, how they are putting pressures on us, expectations, as well as forces and gifts. So all right, that's social work in a nutshell. <laughs> also, I should say social justice. Like my degree had a specific social justice emphasis, and that's something I feel very passionately about is that there is a need for justice in a broken world. And I feel as Christians, we're called to care about social justice uniquely and help people know that God sees their brokenheartedness as he also sees our own individual and communal brokenness. I'm done talking now. Go ahead, Dr. Mars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, in therapy, there might not be a lot of differences between what a psychologist does or what a social worker does or what a a marriage and family therapist does. There might because of the the theoretical sort of background. And and yeah, I do like and respect a lot of the systems theory. I personally tend to use a little more cognitive behavioral yeah. sorts of strategies with individuals, but that's just kind of who I am and, and such. But psychologists would also have some, would also have training in testing. Like you, you wouldn't, you, if your child needed an IQ test or a diagnosis for learning disabilities, you'd send them to a psychologist, either a school psychologist or a clinical psychologist. I've had that sort of training. I used to do work for the Chicago Police Department where a group of psychologists I worked with did personality inventories and then interviews of prospective police officers for the city of Chicago and interview them for 30 minutes to determine should we recommend them? Do they seem sound psychologically to recommend to the police academy to start? And we would weed out about 20, 25% of the people who applied just because we didn't think their personality assessment scores and so forth. So anyway, that's something else that psychologists do. Psychologists do not, and neither do social workers, prescribe drugs. That's something for psychiatrists and other medical doctors to do. But each one of these occupations has a little bit different nuance on what they, what they specialize in. So we have a firm foundation on who we're talking with today <laughs> and what we're going to dig into when it comes to mental health, emotions, emotions in the gospel, and men and women. And we'll continue that conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. 
Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live Uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday, and today we are continuing our conversation in emotions and the gospel. Very special episode as we're looking at men and women and emotions. Our guest, our regular guest, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, and our special guest today, the Reverend Dr. Richard Mars, Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. So now that we have a better understanding of your professional backgrounds, a, a little bit about who you work with or who you've worked with in the past, clients that you've served with when it comes to men, women, children, who who are the people that you've served in the past or have the most experience with in terms of clients or, or teaching as well? So I serve a large variety in my practice. I social work and my social work program in particular is what we call advanced generalist practice, which means that you're trained to serve all populations, basically. I have always accidentally served in mostly rural-ish communities. Rural, did I say that clear enough? And so that's been kind of a surprise and unique with finding resources and things for people. But I also, in working with the LCMS, have worked with people all over the globe trying to find resources, particularly our church workers and their families. So that's been really fun, like a lot of variety, which suits me really well. I love variety. In my day-to-day clinical practice, as well as when I do speaking events, I work with a fair amount of young adults. You know, Dave and I, my husband and I did campus ministry, and we've always been involved in young adult ministry at our churches and both college students and non-college attending students and new parents. And so a, a big segment of my practice is young adults. I see middle schoolers and teens. I even see kids as little as preschool age. I do parent attachment therapies as well with infants. And then I see and moving to Ludington, Michigan, which is almost a retirement community, not solely, but there's a lot of retired population here. I feel like God has invited me to do a lot more work with what I like to call the second young adulthood, which is people who are retirement and beyond are looking at those changes in their life. I do family work and I do work with couples. And so a huge variety. It's really fun. Dr. Morris, how about you? The, yeah. Your experience? Uh, and, and again, before I became a, a seminary professor, my experience was probably 60% with women and 40% with men. It's just kind of the, the nature of women tend to come in for counseling a little bit more frequently than than men do. Also in pastoral care, when I was a parish pastor, that that percentage was probably true. I've done some work with, with children, obviously a parish pastor, but also as a counselor, but probably not as much as Heidi has. In the last 17 years, I'm working at an institution that's 90% male at Concordia Seminary. So it's been primarily men, although I don't really see students in counseling situations very often. That's not my role. I'm to teach pastoral counseling for years. I was director of the MDiv program. So I've helped students through that were struggling in the, in the program in any particular way. But yeah, a lot of interactions with men and women, more men in the last 17 years, more women in the first 25 years mm-hmm. of my practice. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, Dr. Mars, you said something very interesting that the majority of your previous work was with women. So 
and this might be a huge question that might take us to the, till the end of the episode and that's okay. But why, why, why do women is, are there reasons why women tend to pursue counseling and therapy more than men do? I think there's a slightly higher percentage of men that are just kind of more resistant to counseling than there are to women. But also, again, I was, a lot of my work was in college, college counseling centers. So three different college counseling centers that I worked in over 15 years or so. And 55, 60% of, well, probably 55% of the population of the college was, was women. So, you know, and just like it's true in congregations too, congregations tend to be about 60%, 55 to 60% female on average. So women just tend to get involved in these organizations more, attend college in slightly higher numbers and go to church in higher numbers. Men tend to be a little more resistant, not all, some, when they realize that they're really anxious or they're really depressed about something, they come to counseling, but it might take a little bit more of that for a man to reach out and say, I need help than it might be for an average woman in, in my experience. So. Before we talk much more about differences between men and women, any caveats or are there concerns about generalizations before we go much further into the differences between men and women? Heidi, do you want to start that off for us? Absolutely. I think Dr. Mars and I, and and you guys included, are both very aware of how tempting it is to do two things, both overstate and overgeneralize. And so we're going to ask that you as a listener and us with each other have grace in that, that our intention is not to overgeneralize. We understand that people are unique individuals made in the image of God and shared humanity, but also with their own unique perspectives and experiences and environments and all of that good stuff. And so we're going to really keep that in mind in our language. You'll see us reference that, trying not to overgeneralize, but understand that that's also our perspective. We do not want to overgeneralize. While we do want to be able to look at what we've seen and experienced in our work with other people, as well as some research we know, to be able to make some correlations is what we call it. There's very little causation. We're only learning just now a little bit more about the brain. And we've talked about that on other Mental Health Mondays that we can see some patterns, but we don't necessarily want to give cause and effect. So we're going to be cautious about overgeneralizing while being able to give some information that we can apply to our life. Like there is some generalization that can happen because we are a shared humanity. And then also overstatement where, you know, it's this is so hard for me as a writer. I don't know if you feel like this, Dr. Mars, but or you guys on the radio, you you say something and then you go back and listen. You're like, okay, wait, wow, there's probably like 14 things I should have said after that so that fit within a context, if you will. And so understand that if, if someone hears something that sounds like an overstatement about men and women, that isn't our intention. That if they feel like that doesn't apply to them, we completely respect and understand that. And we just want to try to give some information to give us just a base beginning to this conversation. Dr. Mars. And that said, let me let me go ahead and make the, the overstatements and the generalizations here. We'll <laughs> couple a little insights. Again, I teach pastoral counseling to 90% men. We do have deaconesses that come into the program too, and they take the class. Every semester, then I hand out a sheet of emotion words, kind of like the same, like Heidi has at the end of her book. And I tell the guys, okay, you need to start studying these like you study Greek words. 
because these are probably not in the vocabulary for many of you. And they kind of look, oh yeah, I don't use these words very often. And so they are required to talk about because it's part of listening to be able to reflect back to somebody what their emotions are. And and I tell them the story, well, again, I I resisted this myself when I was in my low twenties and and going to grad school and counseling and professors were saying, you need to, to uh, you know, study these emotion word lists. And I'm going, oh, and it finally hit me one day and I'll use another story later on for that, but why that was so important. But a few years ago, I actually went to Latvia and was doing a pastoral counseling week with Latvian pastors. And I handed out, they all knew English, but I knew not a word of Latvian. I handed out the same emotion word list to them and they looked at it and went, oh, Dr. Mars, we do not have so many words for all these various emotions that you do in English. And I couldn't <laughs> argue with them. I didn't know a word of Latvian. I just had to kind of accept it by, by faith. Except three months later, I was scheduled to meet with the Latvian pastoral counseling professor there. He was coming to a conference that I was attending in Nashville, American Association of Christian Counseling Conference. And so we made arrangements to meet. And he and I had a conversation, and at the end of the conversation, I said, well, it was interesting to me that your Latvian pastors said, oh, we do not have so many words for all these various emotions that you do in English. And he started laughing. I go, why are you laughing? And he went, oh, no, no, no. We have just as many words in Latvian language for all those emotions. Those men just don't know those words. <laughs> so it was against cross-cultural evidence to me that men in general, again, not all men, but men in general tend to not talk about their emotions, not have emotional language to be able to talk about. Women tend to do that somewhat more frequently across cultures. And maybe it is Western cultures. I don't know enough about Asia and, and Africa and some other cultures to wonder about that. Although Africa, I think I would say, evidence I've looked at it, men and women are kind of the same too. But so yeah, an overgeneralization that men don't talk about emotions as much as women do, but I've seen cross-cultural evidence to hang my hat on that's as a generalization rather true. So how can generalizations be harmful or or a roadblock when we're trying to talk about this topic? What is that? Is that does it hurt us to to try to make these blanket statements about everybody? I think part of it is a little bit of a trauma response. Mm -hmm. People don't want to be put in a box. And we all have our inner middle schooler who yeah. had people who made assumptions about us or at least our like hyper awareness of what people were thinking about us and how cultural things have been applied to us that didn't fit based on the way we look or or think or things were a part of or groups were a part of. And so I, I think there is some general discomfort, especially in American individualistic culture, right? Like we have to be honest, like we really like our individualism in America. And so I think there's some pushback with that. But then also there is that those all of us have our different inner child parts that also scream, hey, someone see me, please. And it's a little bit against our internal desire to be known that we've talked about a lot on Mental Health Monday when we feel like someone is trying to fit us into this blanket statement. Hmm. 
And Dr. Morris, anything you want to add to that? Well, just I I liked your comment there about your inner middle school child. Yeah, I (laughs) think both little boys and little girls get different messages sent to them about, and it probably varies a lot from family to family. And that kind of gets into John Gottman's work at well. I have time to go into right now, but yeah, little boys often told, oh, big boys don't cry. And so little boys start at a very young age to go, oh, okay, I shouldn't show my sadness. I shouldn't cry. I shouldn't show tears. And again, some, some girls grow up in households where that's what was the old song, big girls don't cry. You are braver than I singing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Frankie Valley. Yeah. So yeah, it happens across different situations. So different people grow up in different families, but it's still in some generality that men are taught not to express their, their weaker emotions. They're, they're okay with expressing anger perhaps, but any emotion that might show that they're not as strong as they should be emotionally can be downplayed. And that's dangerous because again, God created us as fully human creatures and he has emotions himself as as Heidi is so clearly articulated in her book. I'm having a great time telling seminarians about Heidi's book and saying, you should read this because it's going to help your emotional health. And we, we spend an hour every week talking about not emotional health, but spiritual health, emotional health, relational health, the, the seven different areas of health that have become so important in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We spend an hour on that each week in our, with our students and so, yeah, I got to tell students last fall, read Heidi's book. It's going to be very helpful to you in her, in your emotional health. So I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Okay. <laughs> well, it's great when we all have, when we're all speaking from the same lexicon too, mm-hmm. when, when we're, when we have shared vocabulary that we can use to describe emotions, how helpful is that? And we're going to continue that conversation next week here on The Coffee Hour because we are all out of time today. We will continue our conversation on men, women, and emotions here on Mental Health Monday. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.